And that is found on page 1083 of your church Bible. Would you like to join us in this? I think it's on the screen probably coming up. Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes or cleanses so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's just pray for David as he brings God's word to us. Father. Thank you for David bringing your word to us this morning. May you give him the words from yourself. Would you encourage him and encourage us with what you have to say from this morning? We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill him and fill us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning, guys. Great to see you. Great to be worshipping with you this morning. My name is David, and it's a privilege to open the word with you all and worship the Lord and glorify him. So I'm not a gardener, so don't ask me any questions gardening related. You can ask my dad. He'll have plenty of time once he's retired. It's not too long, so you can go to him with that. But February is uh, it's an interesting time of the month, of the year, really. It's uh, a time to sow, a time to prune cleaning up after the winter and an expectation of a great harvest to come and for flower to show later on in the year. Well, on the 12th of December, I was super convicted by the Lord. I was praying and I was asking the Holy Spirit to really show me the power and the holiness of communion because honestly, I didn't really understand how powerful it was. So I prayed and he answered me in a pretty powerful way. So I'll just read out, read out what he said to me. Communion allows the heart to be continually marked by the beloved's death in consuming the symbols of love. And in so doing, our heart gravitates towards wanting to know him more. And it's Jesus' desire and prayer that would be so marked by the cross that it draws us closer to him in wanting to be with him and remain in him, both individually and as a church. And through our union with him, we bear fruit. 
and Shankill, Bray, Dublin, Wicklow, this whole island will know that he's the Lord and he's the Savior. So I'll explain a little bit about communion once we finish the sermon and the way we'll do it. Um, it's going to be a fun time worshiping the Lord. We'll just have the freedom to, to give him thanks and then we'll, we'll take communion. But I'll, I'll explain that a little bit later as we, as we get there. So, John 15, 1 to 8. Let's just get a clear picture of where Jesus is at with his disciples. Chapter 13 to 17 shows Jesus' final address to his disciples on the night that he's betrayed, handed over, and then crucified the next day. And prior to this, Jesus had instructed his disciples to meet a man who would then bring them to his master's house so that they could prepare the Passover meal. And the Passover meal was on the Thursday. It officially began once the sun would go down and Jesus was gathered with his disciples there and they partook of the meal. So the Passover lamb was killed in remembrance of God's deliverance for Israel to slavery in Egypt, but also from death. And if you remember, the blood on the doorpost and on the top would be marked by the Israelites' house and the angel of death passed by their house. And that meal was celebrated in remembrance of it, but it pointed to a greater meal that we have the privilege of celebrating. And that's the Lamb of God dying and shedding his blood so that we'd be delivered from the slavery of sin, we'd be freed from death and alive to Christ, and that we'd be able to worship him forevermore. And communion is our remembrance of him. And that's why it's so precious. And that's why it marks our heart. And it's such a blessing. So I want to start in verse 3 of the chapter. Verse 3 says, You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So Jesus had already pruned back his disciples from the world and joined them to himself. And through the word he spoke, they'd be set apart forever. And the word which he spoke is the good news. And I'm starting in verse 3, because if we fall in love with what Jesus has done for us, and we remember it continually, we'll always want to be in his presence. We'll never want to be out of it. And if we are in his presence, we are caught up with his glory, then as a people, we're going to bear fruit. We're going to bear Christ in the areas where we have influence. And that's going to bring honor to the Father. It's going to bring honor to the Father in our workplace, in our school, business, sports club, everywhere we are. And that's an exciting prospect. So this word is the good news. The good news. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. And all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made. That was made. We've got the king of glory on his throne, his great white throne, with thunders and lightnings coming from it, a rainbow around his throne, his eyes like flames of fire, his face like the sun shining in its strength, his feet like brass, and the sound of his voice is like the rushing of 
many waters. And the angel's response to his glory is most fitting. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is filled with his glory. And so he formed Adam in his image, breathed life into him, and had beautiful relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he gave them a great commission. Be fruitful. Fill the earth. Subdue it. But Eve and Adam joined themselves to the words of the devil. And through joining themselves with his words, darkness instead of light was reproduced in the earth. And sin came to every man. Bar one, of course. But the Lord removed their fig leaves and covered their shame and guilt with animal skins that his own hand had cut for them to wear so that whenever they'd be together they would be reminded of God's mercy and kindness towards them. But not just that, that be reminded of the seed that would come, trample death and restore man back to God. And though the law was powerless to provide eternal forgiveness from sin, to make one clean from the stain and the power of sin, it pointed to a new eternal marriage agreement between God and his people. And the old agreement would be fulfilled through a body that the Father had prepared. Because the King Jesus stood up off his throne. I was thinking about this. Whenever the father would have turned to his son and said, it's time. And he said, yes, father. Can you picture it? All of the angels and the host of heaven worshiping the Lord. And they see Jesus stand up off the throne and walk down off it. The angels just part as the Lord walks through and gives himself to the Holy Spirit to be put in the womb of Mary. It's just, it's incredible. So the Lord Jesus, he lived in awe of the Father, fully in love with him, and he came to do his will. And he shared the love of the Father everywhere he went, through miracles, healings, deliverances, to show himself to be the bread of life. And he had his disciples with him so that they would learn from him and then follow him. That's what a disciple is. It's an attentive learner and a wholehearted follower of Jesus. And that's why he chose them. So that when he would go back to the Father, they would continue on the work of proclaiming the kingdom. So he was hated by many of his own for being the truth and the exposure that it brought to their hearts. And the religious leaders handed them over to the Romans to be tried and to be killed. And Jesus was bound to a post by his wrists. He was blindfolded, spat on, mocked, beaten. You know, Isaiah says this. He says it in Isaiah 52. It really got me when I read it first. He said, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form beyond human likeness. The spotless lamb of God was beaten as if he had committed the worst crime in human history. 
but he endured the suffering and the shame because he had you on his heart. He had you on his heart. And the king of glory was lifted up on the cross, his clothes stripped away from him, and the father laid your sin and my sin upon his body. And through the shedding of his blood, the price was eternally paid to forgive you and bring you into relationship with him for eternity. And he literally poured out his life, it says in Psalm 22, unto death. And upon his final breath, he said, it is finished. It is finished. The work of redemption was complete on the cross. And he died. But the grave couldn't hold him. The one who had the power to lay down his life had the power to pick it back up again. And he trampled death and the devil and appeared to many as proof that he had resurrected before he ascended up to heaven. And the Father has placed all things under his feet and has given him the name above every name forever and ever. And you know what's amazing is that in John 20, when he reappeared to his disciples, he had rose up, his disciples were in fear, he appeared to them, and he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So just as God breathed life into Adam, so too the Lord breathed onto his disciples and to us, so that we can have everlasting life in him. Then the Great Commission comes. Be fruitful and multiply. Go and make disciples of all the nations. So God formed Eve out of Adam so that Adam would have one just like him. So through Adam's unity with Eve, the glory of God would be multiplied through the offspring of the earth. So Jesus sent one just like him and breathe Holy Spirit into his disciples so that through our union with the Holy Spirit, the glory of God would be multiplied and the whole earth would know Jesus. It's an incredible reality of redemption. Back to the beginning, and now we're sucking diesel. Now we're on track. So you being clean through the gospel means that you're a son and daughter of God that you have unlimited access to the king who shed his blood and made you eternally clean. It's not like the Old Testament that couldn't give eternal forgiveness. No, the blood of Jesus gives eternal forgiveness and restoration, and it frees you from the power of sin. And not just that, but your old sinful man, woman, has been crucified and buried with Christ, and a new man and woman has risen up. And that new man and woman has a, a new heart, a renewed mind, and was made in Christ-likeness. And so you've got the Holy Spirit in you, loving you, leading you into the presence of Jesus and in the truth according to the word. And of course, we have the blessing of the scriptures that lead us, teach us, and shape us in Christ. And we have a body of believers who are here for the same reason that you are, to give glory to the Lamb. And it's not like any other organization or meeting of people. This is a body that lasts for eternity. Eternal years, can't even imagine that it's going to be so glorious. 
but we are going to be worshipping the King together. So we may as well start loving each other now. And Paul sums up beautifully what we have in Christ. He says in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And that just shows and sums up exactly who we are in Christ. So the title of this message is The Beauty of the Vine. That we are a people who are so in love and captivated with Jesus that revealing his nature is natural. Natural outpouring to being in relationship with him. Remain in me and I in you. Because without him, no fruit can ever be produced. So we're going to look at three ways of adoring Jesus and we'll quickly look at a few other passages too. So, the first way of remaining in Christ is through his word. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to 32? And I'll be reading it out as well. So as you turn there, this is the day that Jesus rose again. And two men were on the road to Emmaus talking about the recent events of the crucifixion and the Messiah. And Jesus just shows up and casually asks them what they're talking about. You've got to love Jesus. So, starting at verse 25, he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did the, not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if they were, he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? But these men were so deeply moved as Jesus was explaining the Messiah through the scriptures. And we've got to remember that in verse 16, they didn't actually recognize it was Jesus. But they wouldn't let him go any further. You could imagine they just gripped him by the cloak and told him, no, 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 stay with us. We'll stick the kettle on. Well, maybe he's not stick the kettle on. Whatever they would have had in those days. But they didn't want to let him go. There was a preciousness of the word of God and they were hungry for more. And their desire was filled. Folks, Jesus requires you to die to yourself daily in order for you to live a life in him and be a disciple. He can't be part of your life. That's not part of the gospel. He must be your life and nothing else. And the word must govern your life and nothing else. For in the word is found the truth that sets us free from all the other lies of the world and everything that distracts us so that we can walk in the path of the kingdom of heaven. And the Holy Spirit 
who is our Lord. He's our Lord. Same Lordship as Jesus and the Father. He's not any lower. He's Lord. But he's also our private tutor. He's like our tutor who, who comes by us and shapes us into the image of our teacher through the word. Because the Holy Spirit loves Jesus. And what he loves to do is he loves to take of the wisdom of Christ and reveal it to us so that we can understand the truths of scripture and grow in it. So we've got to have relationship with the Holy Spirit. We've got to ask Holy Spirit, Lord, show us the scriptures so that we may grow and learn and be shaped by it. And he will come and do that. And Jesus was the biggest scripture guy. Listen to Psalm 40, verse 7 to 8. You don't need to turn there, I'll read it out. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. So Jesus treasured scripture so highly, and his delight was to do the Father's will so that his name would be glorified. But just as Jesus embodied everything that the scripture spoke of concerning him, so we also must embody the word of God so that we fulfill everything that concerns the Christian life. And so Jesus would be revealed through our life as we embody everything that the scripture talks about. We memorize scripture, we meet together to read the Bible, but we do it so that we'd know him and through knowing him, we'd grow in him and reveal him. And as Jesus broke bread in verse 30 to 31, their spiritual eyes were opened and they realized that it was him. So his word and communion is a beautiful invitation to feast on his presence. I love what David says in Psalm 119. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And food alone, or any other earthly thing, no matter how good it is, does not sustain our soul like the life-giving word of God does. Nothing brings rest or fullness or health like the word. So my question to you, all of you, is who wants more of the word? And I'll be the first to put my hand up. I'm going to put two hands up. Who wants more? Well, let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us more. Let's pray because he's promised to give us more and feed us. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that you're Lord. We thank you that you love to reveal the truths of Christ and reveal it to us. Would you just show us the word, reveal the treasures of it, and would you grow and nurture us in the ways of Christ? Amen. Amen. So the second way of remaining in him is his presence. And of course, the word and his presence go together. But turn back, if you would, to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. It's not too far back. So this is, this is Mary and Martha. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. 
But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha invited Jesus in, Mary remained with him. And nothing else in Mary's life compared to the beauty of Jesus once she saw him and sat at his feet. Her soul was satisfied in his presence as she sat there in awe, listening to his words. And his words found a resting place in Mary's heart. She just simply looked and gazed at him. And that was all she needed. And Mary's worship, which is her response to the glory of God, that's worship, it's a response to the glory of God, is quite incredible. Because she poured her costly oil upon his feet and his head at two separate occasions. Six days before Passover in John 12 and two days before the Passover in Mark 14. It was custom for the Jews to anoint the Passover lamb's feet six days before Passover and then anoint the head two days before Passover. Mary had figured out something that no other person had, not even his disciples. She anointed the Lamb of God, which is why Jesus was so taken aback by her gesture. She has anointed my body for my burial. So much so that Jesus' heart was so blessed that he said of her that wherever the gospel would be preached, what she did would be remembered. What a privilege. We talk about who we want to meet in heaven and chat to. I certainly want to chat to this lady who just loved the Lord. I love this quote from Eric Gilmore. Glorifying God is dependent on fruit. Fruit is dependent on life. And life is dependent on the enjoyment of fellowship. And how incredible is Jesus? That there is no greater joy than just being with him, meeting in him each day, just pouring your love, just thanking the Lord for the cross. That he's everything to us. As Christians, he's everything to us. Our soul is satisfied. Everything that we ever needed, that we tried to find in the world through other people and other things, were restored back to our bridegroom. And his love, his, his love through his nail-pierced hands and his side, it's like the eternal marks of love that just sweeps us away off our feet in love and adoration for him. Revelation 22 talks of a time in the new creation where there'll be no more curse, but the throne of God will be in the midst of the new creation. And we'll see the face of the Lord. We'll be as people... There won't even need to be sun or the moon because his light will fill the new creation completely. Oh, Revelation 22 explains why we're here. It's to worship the Lord. So be alone with him. 
He sees you in the secret place and he loves when you meet with him and just pour your love out on him and he pours your, his love on you. And don't let any other thing come above the place of knowing him because time with him is the one thing that will never be taken away because we'll worship him for eternity. Wow. He's so worthy of our life. The third way of remaining in him is his church. In John 13, the Passover supper had ended. And in verse 4 and 5, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Can you imagine when the disciples truly understood, I mean, truly understood what he did? That, I mean, first off, it was totally uncommon for friends to wash the dirtiest part of the feet of a Jewish man or a woman in that period of time. Very special occasions it might have been done, much less a rabbi, but the Lamb, the Lord who made their very feet, stooped so low to wash their feet, to give them an example. See, there's an incredible blessing. He did say this, blessed are you if you understand and do these things. There's a blessing in store when we love each other as Christians in such a way. And here's the blessing. The blessing is that your brothers and sisters get to experience the love and presence of Jesus through your act of love and service for them. That's something that can't get anywhere else. We get to experience the love of Christ through our act of service for each other. A new commandment I give you, says the Lord, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's in John 13, a little later in the passage. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. But it's a command that's not burdensome. It's a privilege to love each other and to know that through your, your love and kindness and care and holding each other to account that we can actually grow in Christ. That's the greatest privilege. And what a witness to the world. Jesus says this, that the world may know that you're followers of me. The world may know that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And that's really beautiful. And that's our prayer to this wider community here in Shankill, but also through the times where we meet up together as individuals, that the world would know the Lord through our unity together. And as we all grow, we'll have one thing on our heart that knit us together. That's the love of Christ. It's the one thing that was on Mary's heart and it's the one thing that will never be taken away. The brothers and sisters in Acts 2 devoted themselves to four things. Four things. The word, meeting together, communion, and prayer. And they all shared everything they had amongst each other. But what was the fruit of that? The fruit of that was that they praised God continually and the Lord added to the number that were being saved. 
simplicity of heart, it says in Acts 2. You know, Jesus prayed to the Father that we'd be one, John 17. He prayed that we'd be one, just as Jesus and the Father are one. When you think of how close Jesus and the Father are one, I'm, it's, it's perfectly one, it's incomprehensibly one. But he prayed that we'd be one, that through our unity and love together, that the love and presence of Christ would be brought forth and that many people would be saved and would know the Lord. That we'd be an army going through with one thing on our mind, and that's Christ. So, to wrap up quickly with four arrows of truth, four arrows of truth that are in the passage itself. Verse two is the Father's pruning. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So the Father's pruning secateurs is his word and he cuts back the branches so that there'll be a continual flow of fruit in every season. He's not just interested in occasional fruit, he wants there to be continual fruit which is why he prunes us. So don't harden your heart to the Father trimming areas of your life. And I know that that many of you have experienced this in, in tough ways. I mean, his trimming may prevent certain things from happening. It may take away or add to what you have. And it can be difficult. And you may not understand it. But you've got to trust your Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father who loves you, who's got more thoughts about you than all the grain of sand on the earth, who sent his Son so that he could father you. So we ought to believe that he wants the best for us. And he's so amazing that he would prune us. Because by pruning us, ultimately, he's keeping us in the love of Christ. He's taking away things that may hinder so that we'd stay in Christ. So that we wouldn't be moved from the one who gave us life. So don't harden your heart to it. Open up your heart to the Father. Say, Father, take the things in my life that need to go, add or take away what needs to be taken away so that I can express the love of your Son in the areas where I have influence. Two, not remaining in Christ. Verse two and verse six, so look at verse six though. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. Sobering words. But focus quickly on the first sentence of that verse. If you do not remain in me, to drift away from the life-giving bread in order to taste momentary pleasures of the earth, to cover the pain of hurt, loss, and rejection with temporary plasters, instead of remaining in the infinite love of the vine. To compromise Christ's likeness in order to fit into the way of the world instead of knowing your place in the kingdom of heaven. Many people have fallen away from the the beauty and the presence of Jesus. And Jesus says it himself. 
becomes like withered branches, their light for the kingdoms greatly dimmed. My brother and sister, if you've lost touch with the bridegroom or if other things have taken the place in this season in your life, I want to tell you how much Jesus loves you. It's not just because I'm reading this in my notes, because I know it. I know that he loves you so much. He paid such a price. You pay things that are of high value according to the price that you pay. And he paid such a price for you because you're so valuable in his eyes. And so I just encourage you to run back into the Father's arms and we'll have prayer ministry here. And I'd love to pray for you, my dad, and our other brothers and sisters here, that you'd fall back in love with with the Father and the Son and the Spirit too. He so wants that for you. And friends, I also have a challenge for you as well over the next few weeks. That if you know anybody who has drifted away, no matter how far or short, but if anyone comes to your mind, I want to encourage you to reach out to them. Whether it's a text, a phone call, meeting up with them for coffee, whatever it looks like, it doesn't have to be a CSI interrogation. You don't have to to intensely preach at them, but just love on them. And just through your kindness and love, re-sow seed of the kingdom so that they'd actually see Christ once more and come back. Many of us know people who have drifted, but the Father's not done with them. His grace is pursuing them. And it's a privilege that he uses us to love and pursue them. And so if people come to mind, gather other people here for prayer so that we can pray over these names. And even if no one comes to your heart, you can pray for these people so that they come back to the Father. This is his heart, that he'll gather back his children who've strayed. And asking what we desire, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So the point of being joined to Christ in relationship to him is that his desires become our desires. His heart becomes our heart. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we're to no longer live for our life or for ourselves, but for him who died for us. And so it's not about you anymore. It's about Christ in you and bringing glory to his name as he's given you life within you. So in this very light, what an amazing promise. What an amazing promise. Let your prayers be as high and wide and ambitious as possible for your family, for your friends, for your job, for your your sport, the decisions that you have, great and small, school, uni, your kids' future, whatever it may be. The list is actually endless. But there's one thing governing your prayers and your desires when you ask is that the king would be glorified through every area that you're asking. And that is the difference, that King Jesus would be revealed. Uh, And when we do that, it's the most freeing thing. And finally, the Father's desire in verse 8. The Father's desire. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Friends, we're living in a 
tiny window of life on earth compared to eternity with Christ. It's incomparable. You can't compare this life here to eternity, even though we have eternal life in Christ now. But from the time that we're living here until the time that we pass, it's a tiny window of time. But it's a blessed period of time that we want to use our life in the most meaningful and impactful way for the kingdom. You've been given another chance today. Tomorrow might not come, but use what the Lord's given you today. Use the talent that the Lord has given to you that you might sow in for the kingdom and that his kingdom would be moved and glorified. That's the Father's heart, that we want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So go after the kingdom hard, friends, with the time you have. Don't wait. Don't go after other things. Go after the heart of Christ and shine the light of him in the dark places where he's given you influence over. Amen? Okay. We're going to worship the Lord for the next five minutes.